The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. You turn to your Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 12. We'll be on uh, verses 18 through 27 today. And uh, today's title is entitled, Doctrine Delivers from Deception. And uh, I just love this picture that you'll see on the screen because I think these animals are just hilarious looking. And uh, they just always have that look. Uh, well, that's not the animal, but uh, those are flowers, by the way. Uh, but the animal you'll see up in just a second, that's the animal right there. Uh, just get that look going. Uh, maybe you feel that way after uh, uh, it's been a busy week, and many of you have said you're very tired today. I chalk it up to the fact that we were 80 degrees on uh, Thursday morning, and then by the end of the day, it was something like 45. So you're just tired. You can't run outside like you used to, but uh, God is so good. Next Sunday is supposed to be 75 degrees outside. Amen. So woo. So bring it on, and uh, we'll, we'll go there as well. So uh, there was once a story of a man, a little boy actually named Morris, and he moved to the country, and as most city folk do, he decided he needed a donkey. So he paid $100 for one from an old farmer, and the farmer decided, or old mule, and he decided to bring it to him the next day. And the next day, the farmer said, man, uh, Morris, I got some bad news for you. Uh, The donkey died. He just died overnight. Uh, I'm sorry. And the, the little boy, smart as he was, said, well, then just give me my money back, man. I mean, come on, just give it back. And, and he said, I can't do that. I've already spent it. I've already spent the money, the farmer said. Okay, then just unload the donkey. Just give me the donkey. And the farmer said, what in Sam Hill are you going to do with a dead donkey? Well, I'm going to raffle him off. So the man says, well, I can do that. Here he is. Uh, I just, uh, here he is. And, and the young man said, well, I just won't tell anyone he's dead. So a month later, the farmer shows up and meets up with the city boy again in the, in the countryside and said, whatever happened to that dead donkey? He said, I raffled him off. I sold 500 tickets at $2 a piece, and I made a profit of $898. Didn't anyone complain, he said? Well, Morris said, just the guy who won, so I gave him back his $2. Deception goes a long way, doesn't it? You can be very deceiving. Some of you are still figuring this one out. It'll come to you. It will come to you. But people trust with their eyes above all else, don't they? Often we, we, we trust the things we can see. Uh, you, you, you like to feel things. You like to see things, not what is really there. But this is why deception is so, well, deceiving. Because often the things that we should know and the things we should follow are the very things we don't do. For example, most people assume they're good with God, but they assume they're good with God because they've made, as, as one famous preacher says, a God after their own liking, a God who's just like them. And this is why Proverbs 12.22 says, it'll be on the screen, that lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are His delight. Don't you love that? First, 
Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived, for bad company corrupts good morals. How many parents uh, quoted that to them? Bad company corrupts good morals. It's in context of the resurrection. But God is not deceived by externals. God is not deceived by the show we put on or the face we put on. And that's why we should not be deceived. The worst advice you can tell someone is go follow your heart. Well, the Bible says that your heart is deceitful above all things. Who can trust it? Don't follow your heart. That'll get you in bad places at bad times, like the donut shop when you eat 24 donuts, right? Or maybe that's your belly, one of those, but they usually go hand in hand. But at the core of deception is what Satan said to the original two people on earth, Adam and Eve. Did God really say? Did God really say this? Did God really mean that? And so today, as we get back in the book of Mark, there's going to be some deception going on. Because the Sadducees, the liberal side of the Jewish nation, are going to come to Jesus and say, are you sure you know what you're talking about? Are you sure that what you're teaching, Jesus, is exactly what we should have? And they're going to bring questions to him. And so today, do we have enough love in our hearts that when deception comes our way, instead of leaving people in the belief they have to look at them and say, do you really know how far off the track you really are? Or when someone comes to you with, with something and they're so sincere, like those people who knock on your door at 9 o'clock on a Saturday morning and they have a little badge that says, Elder so-and-so, and you know they don't believe in the same Jesus as you do, do we have the grace to tell them, friends, you've been deceived? The Mormon Jesus is not the Jesus of anything except a picture on a frame. So deception, deception, it goes everywhere, doesn't it? It goes everywhere. But friends, this morning, because of Jesus, I want to tell you some truths that are absolutely true from this passage. Because of Jesus, this is no deception. Our guilt is gone. Our judgment is exhausted. Our shame is broken. Our pain is redeemed. Our hearts are healed and our lives matter because Jesus has control of our future and he never deceives you at all. Isn't that awesome? When you pray to him, he's going to lead you in the right way. When you go to him, he's not going to say, what are you doing? When you go to this Jesus, he's never going to deceive you. In fact, he's going to do what he did with the Sadducees and say, look, you're so far off, but let me tell you what the truth is. Have you ever had someone like that in your life before? Have you ever had someone when you were walking away, you shouldn't have been walking, and they speak truth in your life, and man, you get so mad at them at first, but the more you think about it, it really makes sense. Husbands, this is us every day that our wife is around us. Amen. I can remember when I was a youth, and I've told this story before, I was walking in ungodliness, thought I'd myself to be saved. My mom, who's still serving at the home church, I went to uh, the youth pastor came to me and said, Darren, you're living like a hellion. What in the world are you doing? I said every word in the book you should not say to a pastor. And uh, she, he never told my mom, and you don't tell my mom either what I told that pastor. But I remember going home as mad as anything and just, ooh, Eric Martin, if I could slap you one, I would. But he was right. And praise God because he watched out for my soul and I came to know Jesus through that man. I was deceived, but by God's grace it opened up. But let me give you three areas today that you might be deceived in your life. Three areas where we need to be on guard as Christians in the world that we live in today. First, you need to be on guard against the theological left. The th people who, like the Sadducees, believe liberal stuff about the Bible. Oh, yes, that's the History Channel, and oh, yes, that's Discovery Channel. Don't watch those goofy things this week, guys. Turn it off. Turn on the Royals. they got a three-game winning streak going on. That's much better TV for you. 
you also need to be on guard against not knowing what the Scripture is and the power of God that we sang about. And finally, you need to be on guard against any mistakes that you may have about the final resurrection, about what happens when you die and pass from one life to the next. You need to be mistaken, not about that, but you need not to be mistaken about anything because Jesus says He's the resurrection and the life. So this morning, Jesus is in Tuesday of the final week of His life, question after question after question after question, and finally the, the smug Sadducees come to Him with a question. And oh, they're cracking themselves up behind the question all the way to the bank because they think they got Jesus cornered. But they are greatly, greatly deceived. Guys, today, doctrine delivers you from deception because when you know what you really believe, you can understand what you don't really believe. If you'll join me in standing as we uh, read in honor and stand in honor of God's Word if you're able, let's join together as we read Mark 12. Uh, 18 through 27 this morning. Familiar passage for many of you, but I think it's worthwhile to reinvestigate three ways to not be greatly deceived as we walk into this time we live in. Verse 18, hear the word of the Lord, not man's word, hear God's word this morning. And the Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection, and they asked him a question. Teacher, or master, if you have King James, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. So there were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. Verse 21. And the second took her, and he died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise, and the seven left with no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. She had the last laugh, didn't she? In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as a wife. And oh, they think they got him. But here's Jesus, verse 24. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you're wrong? Because you neither know the power, the scriptures, nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they will neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like, key word, like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised... Have you not read in the book of Moses in the passage about the bush how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And verse 27, he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for you are quite wrong. Boy, this is a loaded passage. Let's pray together. May God be glorified as we study today. Why don't we close our eyes and let's bow our heads together. Father God, as we come before you, we thank you so much for the fact that you have told us what is right. Not gray areas, Lord, although there may be some Christian liberty in some areas of things that are not explicit in Scripture, but Father, the bedrock foundational truths about who you are, what you require of us, and what that means, how that impacts everything we do from the time we get up to the time we go to bed, from when we're young to when we're old, it's so clear. Father, refuse in our lives anything that would be anything but your truth. We desire your truth and your truth alone. Father, thank you so much. We thank you that although we were deceived outside of Jesus, that the scales fell off, that we were blind, but now we see. Thank you so much. Father, we praise you. We honor you. We know that it's all by your grace. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Well, as we come to this, I want you to see first that we are not to be mistaken about the theological left 
the theological left. And if that, that language confuses you, uh, you, you typically are the political left, the more quote-unquote liberals or the, the right, the quote-unquote conservatives. What we're saying is, is that we need to be aware of those who say they know God but really do not. Now, you see there in verse 18 that his adversaries come, the Sadducees. Uh, this is your first bad pastor joke for the day, right? They are so sad, can't you see? That's your bad joke for the day. I had to get it out because someone's going to be waiting for that after the service, and there it is, all right? But they are the richest and most powerful people. They are the leading families. They're the elite of the elite, the aristocrats, if you will. They're made up of chief priests, of high priests, and most control of the temple. These are the leading guys. We talk a lot about the Pharisees. They, they were the, the religious practitioners, but the Sadducees made the wheels go. They rejected any possibility that was not in the book of Moses. So from, from basically, uh, uh, well, basically Exodus all the way to, to Deuteronomy, even Genesis, they would accept, but anything else they rejected. It's kind of like what Thomas Jefferson did with the Bible. If you ever go to the Smithsonian, you heard of that, right? The Jefferson Bible, where he literally, our president did, cut out everything in the Bible he didn't like, and he made his own version, the TJV, the Thomas Jefferson version. And that's what these people were. They were liberal. They didn't believe anything they couldn't use their five senses for. They couldn't smell it, see it, touch it, taste it, or something else I'm forgetting there. They didn't care. They didn't believe in life after that. They didn't believe in resurrection, angels, demons, hell, Satan. They didn't care. They were skeptics. They wanted nothing to do with truth except what they could see. And they were the moderates of the day. They were the rationalists of the day. They rejected a real heaven and a real hell. Where the Bible put an exclamation point, they would put a question mark. Well, did that really happen? Did Jesus really say that? Did that really occur? Oh, this doesn't happen today at all, does it? It happens all the time. The Jesus Seminar, uh, uh, Shelby Spong, I mean, you name any person who has walked in the last 150 years, and guys, this is where it started. Did you know World War II, its theological underpinning started with liberal theology of Germany? Did you know that Yale and Harvard and Princeton started out with the great voices of American preaching, teaching the Bible, but when the liberalness got in, they're nothing more than just another college or university? Yet on all their pillars, it says John 8, 34, the truth will set you free but they don't even believe there is a truth. So how can it set you free? Guys, be careful. Acts 17, 11. Now these Jews, uh, Luke writes, were more noble than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with all eagerness and examined the Scriptures daily to see if they were true. Listen, you don't take what I say to be truth unless the Word of God says it is truth. If I come to you and say, unless you're a Missouri Tigers football fan, you cannot go to heaven, uh, you better be having a special call business meeting like right now, Right? don't do that. But these people were very similar to how many of you grew up. I went to uh, my alma mater, William Jewell, people who were there are long retired and gone, but I remember the very first day walking in and they said, we are going to teach you about the Bible. Yes, that's what I'm here for. No, we're going to teach you how to re-read the Bible because it's not true within the first five minutes. Guys, be very careful. Just because someone has a DR period in front of their name does not mean they know anything about the living God. Liberal theology is going to tear this group apart. And when we embrace, and you'll see this on the screen, when we embrace liberal theology, we become our own grave diggers. 
when we don't believe that Jesus Christ actually rose from the dead, when we don't believe that Jesus actually walked on the earth, when we don't believe that this Bible is true, then friends, we have lost everything, literally everything. Well, Darren, is it there room on some secondary issues? Sure. Did Jesus, yes, there is. But friends, if we don't believe in the essentials of what they are, we have lost everything with Christianity. Well, Darren, what about the resurrection? This is a very popular thought. There are some preachers next Sunday who will preach to their congregations that Jesus symbolically rose from the dead and that therefore we should worship him. Man, I love Longhorn Steakhouse, and I, look, I can look at that Longhorn sign all day, but that 16-inch ribeye is not going in my belly unless I put it in my mouth. Do you understand what I'm saying? If I say the resurrection is only a symbol, then I'm not going to be much of a Christian. Jesus actually rose from the dead as actually as you were hearing me speaking to you today. But these Sadducees were teaching that that was not the case. Friends, you may be here, and you may have so much learning, you may have so much truth, you may have so many things in your head, and that is driving you away from Jesus Christ. Please hear me clearly. Christians are not dumb, and aren't, Christians are very smart. But it's not the knowledge that saves us. It is the God of the knowledge that saves us, and that is the huge difference. Please be very careful. Please be very, very careful. Even listening to YouTube sermons, to repost on Facebook, to things that seem so innocent, check the source. Did the source take you back to the Bible, or did they take you back to some things they think are true? There's a pastor in, in, in Atlanta who will tell you that the resurrection isn't as important as other things in the Bible. He'll tell you also to unhitch yourself from the Old Testament. Be very wary who you listen to. It really could be a matter of life and death for you and your kids and your grandkids. So it goes on. You notice there in verse 19, there's an ambush. They ask him, teacher, as if they're asking him something they want to know. And then it goes on to say, Moses wrote for us. And they're going to use Scripture against the author of Scripture. See the irony that God brings about. And like Luke 4, where the devil quotes Scripture to Jesus, they're quoting to Jesus Deuteronomy 5. But God has put this in His Word, and, and it's good. God told the people of Israel how to take care of family who died. That's good. So if a man dies and has no one to oversee his family, th there is always a way to take care of his family. But I want you to know there is a sarcasm tone here. They know this is the most ridiculous question ever. I mean, you never did that to your parents, right? You never asked them a question so out there just to, just to mess with them? You all do this all the time. And that's what they're doing. They just threw out this random scenario that apparently has no answer, and they are laughing. They have no son. It's just a man and his wife, and they have no children. There's no one to take over the family. I mean, friends, I would be scared to marry this lady. She has a killer dessert. She has loving her husbands to death. I mean, this la what is wrong with this lady? I mean, if, if this were today, she would probably be suspect in every crime drama that ever happened. I mean, she showed, and you notice that at the very end. You can tell there's sarcasm here because she was the last one alive. They know this is crazy. But she dies. They laugh because they know it's not ever going to happen. So they ask the question, Jesus, whose wife is she going to be? I mean, who in the resurrection, who is she going to be? And they just know. They just think the Pharisees have failed, the scribes have failed, the elders have failed, everyone else has failed. But this question, we got him. 
he's going to look like a fool. And they believed they'd painted Jesus in the corner, how clever they were, and they're patting themselves on the back. Oh, look at us. But guys, praise the Lord that when you have liberal theology, it goes no further in the eyes of God's truth than anything that could ever come against him. Because the gates of hell will never prevail against the word of God, no matter who says it. So this is what Jesus says. So don't be mistaken about liberal theology. Know why you believe and why you don't believe what you believe. Christian, I'm gonna, I, I just want to point this out. If you're on our email list or if you're on our Facebook group, if you're on those things, we send out a Theology Tuesday every Tuesday to your inbox. Many of you read that faithfully. We've been doing that for four years. Not because I want you to read what I write or someone else writes. It's to equip you to give you opportunity to believe and know why we believe. Get on that, open that, read that, study that. It'll give you good stuff. But number two, don't be mistaken not only about liberal theology, but don't be mistaken about the Scripture and the power of God. Look at verse 24. We're going to park here for a few minutes. We're going to pull off and park. And so Jesus gives him an answer. Notice he doesn't even care about the scenario, really. He just gets right to it as he often does. Verse 24, is this not the reason you are wrong, Jesus tells them. They are wrong. They're mistaken. Mistaken means to go astray. They're so self-deceived, they think they got it right. And he tells them why. Verse 24, because you know not neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. Friends, I always want to give you a few reminders this morning of what this means practically for you. First, how important it is that you know your Bible. That's number one. Amy will put that up on the screen. How important it is you know your Bibles. You know, one of the greatest things, what, you know, as a pastor, what is the greatest thing we can give you? Is it personality? Is it prestige? Is it prominence? Is it, what, what, is, what are we supposed to do during the week? What is our job before your, your faces each week to do? It is to give you the Word of God. Pray for your pastors. Pray for your Sunday school teachers. Pray that the Word of God is uplifted in this church because the higher the Word of God is uplifted, the more you will be uplifted to know the risen Christ. And so don't be misled. If we err on this, we err in all things. Psalm 119, 105, your Word is a, is a brick into my feet. It's so heavy, I don't want to read it anymore. Your Word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. Look, you can't get saved if you don't know the Word of God. You can't get saved if you don't know that you're to turn to Christ and repent of your sins. You can't know God until you understand the Christian life. I mean, if you show up at a job one day and they tell you, this is what you're going to do, and they put you in one of those big earth mover machines, that scares me to death just to think about, and they say, here's the manual, go study it, there's going to be a test tomorrow, and you're going to learn how to drive this thing. You're just like, I got this. And you can't even get the thing into gear, man. You try and drive that thing, it's just stuck. You can't move it. Well, I got this. I know how to do this. I played a video game one time. I slept at a Holiday Inn last night. Dude, I got this. They would laugh you right out of that job. Christian, you have a job. It is to know and make known this glorious God, and we find that answer within the Scriptures. How do you know what to obey as a Christian if you don't know what's in there? How do you know what God expects you to do if you don't follow what He says? This is why we don't try to entertain you. This is why we don't try to dazzle you with who we are, because you don't need dazzle. You need the razzle-dazzle that's only found in the Word of God, and it's not a magic potion. It's the Holy Scripture that comes from the living God. 
We're not here to entertain goats. We're here to grow sheep. The purpose of the church is not to bring the goats into the church. The purpose of the church is to raise sheep who reach the goats and therefore welcome them in and therefore share the gospel with them. And that is a total separate thing that happens in most churches. We're not here to entertain. We're here to grow. It's the most important thing we can do for our families, parents, grandparents, is to know the Word of God. Secondly, we must rightly understand the power of God. Brother, thank you for leading us in that this morning. We have such a low view of God. We know Matthew 19 uh, says that nothing is impossible with God. Even to put your socks on in the morning, you need the power of God on your life, especially if you have old, crusty socks like most of us do. He doesn't have to take your life. God doesn't. He can just simply stop it if He wants to. All days are given to Him. He has all power to rule providence. He has all power to overcome trouble. He has all power to answer your prayer and mine. He has all power to save you and me, the chief of sinners. He has all power to convert his enemies. He has all the last word on all the subjects of all the matters of human history till its very end. And the power of God is greater than the power of Satan. The power of God is greater than the power of sin or any situation you are in. And praise God even over the grave itself. We must have unwavering faith that He is who He says He is because He's qualified to take it all. Thirdly, the Word of God and the power of God go hand in hand together. So how does this work? Well, the Word of God testifies to the power of God, but if you don't know the Scriptures, you don't know the power. Look, this is why in your evangelism, when you share the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is not how well you can say the right words at the right time. Your words are important because we want to share the gospel, but it's not your words that convert people, is it? It's the power of God. How do we bring people to faith in Christ? We bring them by trusting that God's power is enough. This is why, it, this, I mean, you think, just think about preaching for a second. This is foolishness up here, guys. You're giving me 35, 40 minutes of your time every single Sunday, right? Or whoever's up here. It's utter foolishness. You're going to forget 95% of what was said two minutes after you walk out the door. Amen? Oh, come on. It's true. So what do we trust? Yes. What do we trust? We trust that the Spirit of God, by the power of God, through the Scripture of God, take the foolishness of preaching and apply it to your heart. This is why entertainment will never save anyone. We can get the coolest skateboard people, the coolest BMXs, the power team. We can get the runner team. We can get whatever team we want and put them up on stage. And they may come to Jesus, not because of them, but because of the words of God that were said by them. It's not the event that saves people. It's the God of the Scriptures through His power going hand in hand that saves the people. That's what we have. And so when he says, you neither know the power of God or the, or the scriptures, he's basically telling them, guys, you know not this very God that you speak of, that God can answer prayer and work on your behalf. Number four, don't be mistaken that to understand the scriptures requires a believing heart toward God. These men from the Sadducees thought they had it all, but no one can understand the Bible outside of unbelief. If you're here and you know someone who knows and can quote Scripture at you like it's a machine gun, then that's great. But until the Spirit of the living God works on their hearts, it's just head knowledge. Parents, this is why we're very careful to baptize young children at our church. 
not because young children cannot be baptized. I believe they can. But we want to make sure they're not just parroting back information that we've told them, good as it is, the Word of God. This is why even Scripture memory can be a danger because we, we give kids confidence with Scripture memory, but we forget if we're not careful, we forget to tell them that you must repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And I thank God that our Awana team does that. It's not only the head that they, these little kids on Wednesday night memorize the Scripture, but they hear you, you must turn to Jesus Christ. That's what happens. True living faith is a prerequisite to understanding the Bible, and the Sadducees didn't believe the Bible, therefore they didn't get it. Lastly is this, and number five, praise God for this, Christ is in charge of every single situation. I think we've mentioned that the last four weeks, because every time they come at Him, Jesus is already there. Jesus is not forced to work by anyone's agenda. He is not surprised. No matter how evil it is, no matter what it is, there's no scrambling. What do we do? What do we say? He always has the perfect reply to the people and to us. Thank God for that. Always out ahead of every situation, and this is how we respond. Friend, commit all, your all to the Lord. Do what He says. His Scripture is enough. If you're praying for someone, don't think you have to have all the archaeological evidence, all the arguments down about the creation of the world, the existence of God, all this logic down. Guys, this is the power of God right here. I can give them a million reasons that Jesus died and walked on this earth, but if I never share with them the gospel, I'm just talking to their head. This cuts to the heart. It is a double-edged sword separating bone and spirit, marrow, and all those things right here. The Bible is enough to convert the heaviest of hearts because only the Scripture and the power of God can do that. This is why I grew up with him. Josh McDowell, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. How many of y'all read that book? Most, if you're of the generation, you know this. I mean, he talks about so many evidences for Jesus, and I praise God for that ministry. But Josh McDowell has recently said in recent years that it is the power of God that changes people, not the evidence that comes with it. Friend, you may not know what to say to your non-Christian neighbor who drives you nuts or your in-law that you just can't stand, but the Word of God does. Trust its power. Trust its power. Don't be mistaken about the power of God, the scriptures, or theological left. And finally, don't be mistaken as Jesus takes this answer further, verse 25, about the final resurrection. Look back at verse 25 in your, in your Bible, your smartphone, your tablet, or written on your heart, whatever you got. Verse 25, and Jesus will go on to say, after questioning them, he says, For when they rise from the dead, they are neither married nor given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. Here's the argument. He doesn't lead it with a rebuke, but he gives her a reason behind a rebuke. He introduces that four, and he's going to give us three facts. I'll give you three more. It's more of a list sermon today. But one thing I want you to know just from the offshoot is you are not going to be an angel when you die someday. If you're looking to get wings and fly, they have contraptions for that. They're called airplanes. Hop on, buckle up. You're not going to be an angel. This is not Tom and Jerry theology, all right? This isn't when you, when you get smashed by the Acme thing, you're going to go up like a little angel. That's not what we're talking about. Jesus said they will be like the angels. That's a key phrase. You're going to be like an angel. It doesn't mean you're going to be an angel. You are not like an angel. Friends, you have sinned. You have been redeemed. First Peter says that the angels long to look into that. Why would God save these rebellious people? But the first thing I want you to see is that there will be a resurrection at the end of life. 
There will be a resurrection. Christian, this is your great hope. I quoted this in our prayer earlier, but Jesus said to Martha, didn't he? I am the resurrection and the life, John 11, 25 and 26. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And Jesus asked that question, do you believe this? Christian, when you die, you don't go six feet under, never to be seen again. When you die, you don't just go into some soul sleep. When you die, you don't just like go into some, you know, 1970s nirvana, kind of just whatever that is kind of thing. When you die, there's going to be a resurrection at the end of the age, not only for the soul and the body, but also soul and spirit, but also for your body. And a final resurrection also guarantees a final judgment. I want you to know that. This is why they didn't want to go through with this. This is why the Sadducees said, when you're done, you're dead. You're, that's it. You're in the ground and dead. But Jesus goes on to say that final judgment is bound with final resurrection. Revelation 1.17, Jesus said, I hold the keys to death in Hades. In the judgment, Jesus is going to raise uh, the people to stand before him. You can, we don't have time to go there. I had in my notes, but for sake of time, you can read about this in John 5, 21 and following. But Jesus says that, that someday we will stand before him in judgment. You will stand Christian before him in judgment, not for your salvation, but an examination of your life and what he's asked you to do. So from Jesus comes all life, and he has the ability to raise the dead. But there is coming a judgment. Christian, what is your greatest hope? Is it heaven? That's good. But the greater hope is, is you're going to be resurrected to be like Jesus Christ. That old, frail, messed up body that used to be able to lift 300 pounds that can barely lift a three-pound can. Praise God. I don't know if you'll get to do that, but you might. But you will be in heaven resurrected as Jesus was resurrected. And that's why he tells them. So he goes on and points number two, and he tells them that there will be no marriage in heaven. Now, this is a more sensitive one I want to look at. There's no state of marriage as we now know it in heaven. For some of you, this is, this is hard. I, and I really thought about the words to say this. Some of you have lost spouses. Some of you have lost even a couple spouses to death or, 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 or to the grave. It's hard. What does this mean? What is he saying? Well, marriage, as we know, was made for the procreation of the earth, wasn't it? Go in all the world and, 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 and basically go multiply is what Jesus said or God said, and Christians will be like, but not as one given to marriage or, or married. So who's, how do we answer this question then? Whose wife will this lady be in heaven? Who will she be? Well, let's just get this out of the way. Some of you, and I say this tongue in cheek, but some of you are ready to go to heaven because you don't have to be around your spouse anymore. Amen? No one said amen, and for all parties involved, that's probably a very good thing. But let me assure you on a serious note that you will see your spouse. You will know your spouse in heaven. You will love your spouse in heaven. You will even closer and even better than your honeymoon or whatever the climax of your life was with your spouse together the whole time. Finally, you'll know your spouse and you'll spend forever with your loved one. But it'll be deeper, it'll be richer, and it'll be much fuller. But you won't be married as you'll be married here. It'll be much different. Despite what Jesus says... This will not be a cold and impersonal. You will know your spouse in heaven. Some of you are remarried here today, 
And this is a tough word. So in heaven, whose wife will you be? Whose husband will you be? The answer that we seem to get from this passage in other scriptures is that your love for the Lord will be so supreme and perfect that He will satisfy your heart. That the question of whose spouse will you be in that day won't really matter anymore because you're with Jesus. You'll spend forever with your spouses in perfect harmony, not in earthly marriage, and you'll spend enough time with them that you'll want to spend even more time with Jesus just as you will with all the other Christians from all around the world. The same goes if you've lost a kid at some point, a young baby to, to, to uh, sickness or stillbornness. It ought to encourage you with the challenges in your marriage that one thing, day, it will be perfect. Friend, we are not Mormons. Let me be very clear on this. I love our Mormon friends. I've spoken to about twice, but you are not going to get married in heaven and make spirit children. And I, I say that seriously. Some Baptists believe this. We do not go to heaven to make children to populate worlds and galaxies far, far away. That's not the Bible. That's called science fiction. And I mean that seriously. We go to heaven not because the streets of gold, not because we get to have possibly spirit children assembly. We go to heaven because Jesus Christ has redeemed us from our sin and said He's prepared a place for us. That's why we go. Because He's there. And when you get to heaven, you're not going to want to care about anything else except Him and worshiping Him and serving Him. Number three, the resurrection was in fact taught in the Old Testament. I want you to see this. Look back at verse 26 as we look at this last point here. Don't be mistaken about the final resurrection. Look at point 26. And as far, Jesus says, as far as the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses? Remember the book of Moses is the Sadducees' Scripture, they don't go with the prophets, it's all the book of Moses, so he goes right to the heart of their argument. In the passage about the burning bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I'm the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but he's God of the living. He's quoting to them the very Scriptures they hold. It's not was their God, but I am their God. He says, I am, present tense. After death, it's not once I knew God, but in heaven someday, at the resurrection, you will know God forever. You'll get to serve Him forever. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We will never be alive more seconds, five seconds, than after we die, because everything will pass away. And the one who created all life says so. This is why that someone who says, I'm going to end my life and take it all really is, has no idea, sad as event that is, what it is, means. Because we all live forever, don't we? And verse 27, He is still the God of the fathers and the God of the martyrs and the saints. And Jesus says, if you believe that this is all there is, you're quite wrong. In fact, it says you are wrong. Matthew and Mark end with the reactions of the people, but, uh, but Mark ends it right there because he wants that dramatic impact to be on our hearts that if we don't get this right, we have missed the boat. The last thing we hear is not the response of the crowd, but we hear the last words of the Lord, you are wrong. You know, I, I love running, and I, I came across this story this week, and I think it makes the point that Jesus is, is, is tying here. Back in 1991, there was a, a marathon in Algeria, and there was a guy by the name of Abbas Tahami. Say that five times fast. And he won the, the Brussels Marathon. That's a feat in itself until someone wondered where his mustache had gone. You see, when checking the photos and the accounts, it became evident that the mustache actually belonged to Tahami's coach who goes by the name Ben Salam. 
You see, Hamani had started the first seven and a half miles, got tired, somehow talked to his coach, acted like he went to the bathroom, and his coach took a train all the way up to the finish. But, oh, his, the runner forgot that his coach had a mustache. And the people were greatly deceived when this man, who you see in the photo here, crossed the finish line, who didn't have any sweat on him, yet looked like he had just won a race. And the point being is the quote was, it said, they looked about the same, but only one had a mustache. And friend, I want to remind you that there are so many things out there that talk about the end of life, that talk about death, that look correct, but are just something else with a little mustache put on it. You need to know what you believe. This is why Revelation, and you'll see it on the screen, 2220, the very last prayer of the Bible is, come, Lord Jesus, come. Because only He will settle this out. But if you're here today, and I sent this out on Tuesday, let me just remind you of it. You must understand that there is a hell. There is a heaven. There is a reward for the faithful. There's a reunion with loved ones. If you have someone who's died in the Lord, I think of, and, and, and you regular folks know these folks, we lost two faithful, faithful servants of ours in, the, in our church in la, late last fall, husband and wife. We miss them dearly. But someday we'll rejoice with Richard and Carol in heaven as we will every saint who's passed through glory because it's not about them, it's about Christ who's resurrected from the dead. And when He resurrects us, it will be our inheritance that He has given us, not because we deserved it, but because He won it by the very blood of His own self. What an awesome God. Friends, in heaven, there will be a place prepared for you. It's only for those who are born again. I'm going to just run this list. Heaven is described as a glorious city where God's light will shine. The gates of heaven will never be shut. Heaven has the river of the water of life to ensure everlasting life. Heaven has the tree of life to ensure abundant life. Heaven has a throne of God at its center. Heaven is a place of holiness. It's beautiful. There's unity. There's going to be Baptists there. There's going to be Presbyterians there. There's going to be Methodists there. There's going to be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation there. Heaven is joyful. It's forever and ever and ever. Heaven is, has no night. Heaven is filled with singing. That may scare some of you because you're not going to be like an angel. Or you're going to be like an angel. Hopefully your singing elevates. Amen? So if you, it, That's a joke, by the way. But heaven is a place of service. And let me tell you this. What is your body going to be like? Your body's going to be recognizable. It's going to be a glorified body like Christ. It's going to be unlimited by space. It'll be eternal. Your body's going to be glorious. You won't have any pain anymore. And there'll not be hunger or thirst, and there won't be sin. You know what I'm most looking to heaven for is Christ, but also these things will not be there. There will be no more cancer no more corruption, no more bills, no more fake news, no more boredom, no more taxes, no more debates, no more abortions, no more rapes, no more racism, no more kidnapping, no more orphans, no more guilt, no more opiates, no more suicide, no more adultery, no more unforgiveness, no more bitterness, no more disunity, no more slander, no more stillborns, no more doubts, wars, sin, temptation, suffering, death, or mourning, because Christ is King. Don't be deceived. Friends, our future rocks because Jesus is the solid rock. 
Don't let liberal theology tell you otherwise. Don't let the power, the unpower or the unscripture of people tell you otherwise. Don't let people who don't believe the Bible tell you otherwise. Christ is King. He's coming again. There is a resurrection, and if you know Jesus, you're on the right side of history. If you don't know Jesus, friend, let me just be equally honest with you. If you do not know Jesus, there is a hell. It is literal. It is eternal. It is prepared for Satan and his angels and all those who reject Christ, and God is just as much in hell as he is in heaven. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere, but there is time for you now for all those who hear my voice, repent and turn and believe in Christ. Because that is where it is. Will you join me in prayer as we close today? Father God, thank you so much as we close out. And Father, let us not be deceived, especially this time of year. Time Magazine is going to put out something as they always do. The Discovery Channel is going to have 20 experts behind everything. Did this really happen? Did that really happen? Father, these are honest questions that Christianity has answers for. But Lord, as we close out today, shore our hearts around the fact that it's not just the evidence that speaks to the truth. Father, it's the fact that you are truth. You're the final truth. You are the arbiter of truth, Lord, because you are the standard of it all. Father, thank you that these, these Sadducees had nothing on the power of God, the power of the Scriptures, and the power of the knowledge of the one who's seen past, present, and future, and who's orchestrated it all for his glory. Father, what a great joy it will be someday as we worship around your throne without any encumbrance, just knowing that you have saved us. We will look forward to that day. But until such a time, Lord, thank you that you've given us a task to go into all the nations and preach the gospel to every creature, wherever we may be. We pray these things today in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen.